for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 448 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, it's the return of David Pepoz, which is always a special conversation. He's got a Kickstarter going on right now for the OZ, which is his take on Wizard of Oz. And he's got some fascinating things to say, and a Kickstarter that is just knocking it out of the park. We recorded this a little early, and even since then, it's just continued to blossom and do extremely well. We talk about how the book came to be, what some of the subtext is, and what's happened to some of the characters that we're all familiar with. As always, it's a fun conversation, and we talk about other things that he's got coming, as well as the future of the OZ, which is pretty much assured because he met his goal in a very short amount of time, which we'll talk about. If you go to kickstarter.com, you'll find the OZ number one, a fantasy classic reimagined for comics. It's going to conclude on Wednesday, September 16 at 10.31 a.m. Eastern Time. So you've still got some time to sign up and support it. We have a great time talking, and I think you're going to enjoy what he has to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. Always a great time to talk with David Popose, creator of such good things as, gosh, Spencer and Locke, going to the chapel, and he has a new Kickstarter going, which is doing gangbusters, yeah. uh, the OZ. Uh, how you doing, David? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Wayne. I'm really thrilled to catch up with you, and uh, I'm so excited to talk with you about this new project. It's been, a, it's been a labor of love for a long time. I've actually been working on it since the first volume of Spencer and Locke dropped. So I'm so glad that after three years of working on it, uh, we can finally get to talk about the OZ. It's always interesting to me how you have one foot in reality and another foot in mythology and, and stuff. I and love that. This book is that way. I mean, you've got uh, – gosh, there's so much I want to talk about with this. But I, I, don't, I, I meant to talk about other stuff, but let's just dive right in and guess talk about this thing. It describes it on the Kickstarter as if the Hurt Locker took place in The Wizard of Oz, yeah. which I find really interesting. There's that – one foot in each universe kind of thing again, which yeah. I really like. I've read a lot of your interviews and listened to some of the, your, your podcast interviews as oh, well. Let's talk about this. And I want to talk about the Kickstarter itself. Yeah. The first thing is a 44 page first chapter, which you're doing. Yeah. And the title got me. I didn't realize this was going to be about Wizard of Oz. When I saw it, I just, I saw the OZ and immediately I, I thought, Oh, occupied zone. I thought that's what this is. And then when I got in there and I realized it was Wizard of Oz as well, I was like, oh, okay. I should have known. I should have known about this. So talk about the book. Now, you're, you're talking already that, that you've been working on this for quite a long time. Quite a long time. So the OZ, like you were saying, it's, it's what if the Hurt Locker and Mad Max took place in the Wizard of Oz. And our story reframes Dorothy Gale's killing of the Wicked Witch as something like a botched regime change. 
And when Dorothy clicked her heels three times and went back to Kansas, she unwittingly left Oz in this horrific power vacuum that spirals into this brutal civil war. So our story picks up a generation later with uh, Dorothy's granddaughter, who's this you know disillusioned Iraq war veteran. And uh, Dorothy has kind of brought her own scars back uh, and her own trauma back from her time overseas. And she's swept up by a tornado and dropped into this war-torn land of Oz. So this new Dorothy is going to have to confront her past and her grandmother's former friends if she hopes to survive the occupied zone, or as the locals call it, the OZ. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of our action-packed military twist on fantasy. If you've read any of my previous books, I never come to a high concept in a straightforward fashion. Um, I love mashups. I love twisting genre around. And by taking these sort of classic archetypes of The Wizard of Oz, I think we're able to, to explore some heavier subject material, but still have something that's really exciting and action-packed. You know, when I talked with uh, my collaborators in this book, artist Ruben Rojas and colorist Whitney Kogar, as well as our letterer DC Hopkins, I said, tonally, this book is not as dark or bleak as Spencer and Locke, because I don't think many books I write outside of straight horror will be. But um, it's somewhere tonally between like Mad Max and Star Wars. It's sort of that grit alongside that sense of scope and wonder. Oz has teeth now. And Dorothy, as a soldier, is kind of the perfect person to explore that kind of war-torn world. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting when it, you know the, all these pages are up on the Kickstarter page, yeah. so I'm not going to spoil anything. But yeah. say, this at the beginning, we see a young girl going, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she get chased by uh, flying monkeys, and all of a sudden, the one woman yells out to the young girl, "Follow the yellow brick road!" And that's when I realized. Yep. And I saw the title was somewhere <laughs> over the rainbow. I went, "Oh!" I said, "I get it. <laughs> I should have known. I just should have known." But when no, uh, until I- then, I didn't get it. It's, but, it's uh, it, you know, that's what we loved about that reveal. It's kind of, it, it really punches you in the gut. And um, that's the cool thing about this book is I think, you know, the popular consciousness of Oz is the Judy Garland film. I mean, that's sort of where everybody touches base on that. And that said, you know, a lot of people don't know that it's based on a novel. You know, Al Frank Baum wrote 20 of them and he was building continuity and world building decades before Stan and Jack ever came on the scene. And uh, that was something that was really appealing to me is kind of sifting through that mythology while still staying accessible to that public image, you know, of that sort of core group, you know, of of Dorothy, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man and the the Cowardly Lion. Um, But being able to both reinvent it and stay true to those characters and take those innate qualities and follow them to the logical extreme. It gave me a lot of freedom, I think, as a writer, and it gave me a lot of directions that I could pursue that still felt organic to the characters. See, it's so interesting to me because, you know, I, I was reading in some of these other interviews and stuff that you've done about the fact that you based this on the book more than on the movie. And I was intrigued because there was a comic series a while back. I think it was Eric Shanauer. Yeah did them and i i was i i never read the books until i sat and read those comics and i was like that's so interesting how much more there is yeah. in the, the There's actual a much work. deeper universe to it and you know the thing the 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 eye of the needle that i had to thread is the novels are public domain the movie is not 
So there are certain inventions and liberties that the movie took. I mean, granted, I think there's a fairly decent overlap. I mean, the movie did sanitize some things from the book. But, you know, for example, the really the big glaring thing, uh, you can't use ruby slippers. That was an invention for Technicolor. So any any listeners reading who are suddenly like, silver slippers, where's my no prize? That's your no prize. I don't want to get sued. Um, <laughs> but uh, being able, for me, it was, it was sort of like, if Spencer and Locke was like excavating through 10 years of Bill Watterson strips to find like the core iconography and the things that are, you know, really resonate for this story. The OZ was like sifting for gold. You know, there's so much of it and you have to figure out, you know, you don't want to get so much rope that you hang yourself and that readers have no idea what you're talking about. So for me, I was able to, you know, I was able to focus on those core characters, but able to cherry pick from bits of mythology to really flesh out that world. The bombed out Emerald City is going to have a very different vibe than the Deadly Desert, which is going to have a different vibe than the mountaintops of Ix, which is going to have a different vibe than the Wicked Witch's Castle. And um, like Star Wars, there's that sense of scope and scale. Dorothy isn't just fighting for herself. You know, where I think Spencer and Locke and going to the chapel was a little bit more intimate in terms of the scale and, and, and the stakes. She's fighting for an entire world. And, uh, you know, having all these different locations, it not only gives us all these different challenges and obstacles to throw at Dorothy, but it also inherently raises the stakes because she's fighting for something more than herself. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to me because, you know, when I've ever seen the movie. I've always kind of felt like it ended on a good note and things went well from there. You know, mm-hmm. they got rid of the w- Wicked Witch. Everything was, you know, it can only get up from there, you know, and you're saying, nope. no. <laughs> I, well, you know, I came of age during the invasion of Iraq. I was, I was think I was a sophomore in high school or a sophomore or a junior in high school. So, you know, when I was thinking about the Wizard of Oz, I exactly thought what you were thinking is, boy, they tried to wrap up up in a neat little bow, except I've seen in the real world that does not happen that way. I mean, that's sort of the kind of ugliest truth about tyrants is that they don't just rule through fear and power, but it's through this really consolidated form of control. And the problem is, is that, you know, they're so locked in there that you tip that domino over and suddenly you see dominoes falling all over the place. You know, you see, you know, the infrastructure that everything was kind of connected to this one powerful figure, suddenly it's all disrupted. And you have people who are suddenly realize like, there's a power vacuum. I'm going to fight for a piece of that pie. So those are the things that really, um, really like clued me in for the OZ was, you know, I had come up with the idea of just that acronym and the military version of what the Wizard of Oz would look like. And then I realized like, oh, the mythology already lends itself to that. Because, yeah, like, that's what happens. There are unintended consequences, even for the best of intentions. And, you know, that's kind of one of the sad parts of the story for me is that the original Dorothy Gale has no idea. She just thinks of Oz as this, you know, lovely, magical place on the other side of the rainbow. And, yeah, she fought and killed the Wicked Witch. But, like, she still thinks of, like, some really good friends there. And she has no idea, like, the role that she played in, like, destroying all of it. And that's something that her granddaughter is going to have to clean up and sort of figure out, like, can you end this cycle of violence? Is there a way to, to have a, a moral decision in a battlefield where every choice you make can wind up with somebody dead? 
See, that, that to me is the first thing I'm thinking of. Well, if Oz didn't end, the, the, the original Oz stuff didn't end well, uh, how's yours going to end? I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you, you know, about I, that right off. It's it, there, there are, there are ideas. I mean, I've written the script. I, the, the, the whole series is written, uh, you know, uh, for those who are listening, this is the first of what we plan for three projected Kickstarters, which will wrap up at least this standalone story. And so that's written. I've, I've already written the whole thing. I'm really happy with how it turned out, but yeah, this is, you know, this is very much a story about like, how do you bring morality into war? Um, you know, and I think Dorothy is realizing, you know, she's lived life as a soldier and she's got a lot of pain and guilt and, and disillusionment from that kind of wondering what was it all for. And now in Oz, by virtue of who her grandmother was, she has this, like, she really bristles against this expectation of leadership because she's realizing that waging war as a soldier is a very different skill set than trying to build peace as a leader. And so she's kind of, she's really kind of going through that moral calculus through the whole series. Um, just kind of figuring out how do we do this when we keep killing people and she's going to have to figure out if there's a way to break that cycle of violence. So you said there's three issues or volumes, I guess you want to say it. Uh, well, it'll be, it'll be issues. I mean, uh, so, so basically I, I had written the OZ originally as six standard sized issues. One of the reasons I decided to make the jump to Kickstarter was I realized these single issues paired together really nicely. The OZ works in a three act structure. So it's not like star Wars in the sense that there's new hope and empire and Jedi, um, where those are, you know, I think all standalone chapters. These are three double sized issues and we're going to be kickstartering them over the course of three different campaigns. And the reason why we did it this way, the thing that I think is really freeing about Kickstarter is you're not chained to the month-to-month schedule of the direct market. And so we had two issues of two standard size issues of the OZ already ready to go when I decided to make this decision. And um, this gives our creative team, Ruben Rojas and Whitney Kogar and DC Hopkins, it gives them time to like create the book in a way that doesn't like blow out their wrists and still lets them keep the high level of quality that has made this book such a success already. And so, yeah, this is going to be the first of three campaigns. Yeah. But you know, if the demand for our first couple of days is any indication, um, I always write with another idea in my back pocket. And so never say never about whether or not there will be another OZ adventure after these three double sized issues. But um, for now, for now, we've got uh, whatever the, the math is, 132 pages uh, written already for the series. See, if I know you as a writer, when I read Spencer Unlocked, the second volume, and got to the end, you had this massive surprise waiting for us that mm-hmm. just blew me out of the water when I read that. I would imagine you've got something up your sleeve and I don't know if it's going to be that, that kind of thing, I gotta but I bet you, I, I, uh, you know, that's the great thing about working with nostalgia is that people have expectations and I love it when people have expectations that makes them easier to mess with. So yeah, I, uh, uh, no, I, I, uh, I, we've got there, there, I, I would say, I'm trying to remember, I know our first issue, we've got some really cool twists and turns and that's what's being kickstarted now. So that's, that's what's germane. And, um, I feel like we've got a bunch of others coming down the pike with our second and third issue. Our third issue. I know we've got some really fun ones. I'm just trying to remember 
we've got at least one really fun twist in the second issue. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the fun of it. And especially for something like the wizard of Oz, where I think everybody has this shared memory, but it's of a very sort of simple and uncomplicated kind of storyline. And so we're able to throw some curveballs in a way that I, I, I think, I think people are going to have a lot of fun with it. It just looks great. I mean, you know, when I look at the the Tin Man, for example, mm-hmm. your version of the Tin Man is unlike anything I've seen. Yeah. And, you know, what's happened to the Tin Man, mm-hmm. you know, over the generations is going to be really something yeah. to explore. I mean, you know, given given the circumstance you put them in, who is the Tin Man? I mean, basically, when, when this thing starts, I mean, can you give us a little yeah. bit about that without so, spoiling it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so... You know, I've had so much fun taking those kind of iconic core characters from the, the Wizard of Oz because that was kind of the, the thing that I needed to navigate was, you know, what's accessible in terms of the public eye. I always want to lean towards accessibility versus like being a super deep cut nerd um, because I don't want people to be like totally thrown off. So, you know, those core characters, you know, the Tin Soldier, he was one of my favorites to write. You know, he, he it, it, in a lot of ways, he reminded me a little of Spencer from Spencer and Locke. Um, although he's got, I think, a different sense of agency because he's he's, he's real and so he can affect things. Um, whereas with Spencer and Locke, you always had to run through like, okay, if if Spencer is interacting with something, is it something that Locke is really interacting with or is he just seeing things? So um, the Tin Man, you know, it's funny. When I talked with uh, Ruben about it, I said, you know, I want him to have a little bit of a blue collar vibe. Even though he's like this big hulking dude, um, like we had a conversation about like the shape of his nose. I was like, I want him to have like a nose that's got like some character to it, to it. You know, he's kind of got a, a big schnoz and like his face is a little thin. Like he's, he has been, uh, rebuilt. The reason why he's so big, he's been, he's been rebuilt with whatever kind of pieces of metal are around, but yeah, he's this guy who he's been kind of fighting a losing war for a long time. Um, you know, he's, he's sort of the freedom fighter. Uh, of Oz right now. And uh, I think for somebody who wanted to have a heart, what happens to that guy when he's watched people die all this time? And he's been the one who lives Um, that I think was a really cool, you know, what happens to that guy? Like, do you just bury that heart forever? Or is it something that no matter what you do, it eventually comes back. Hmm. Um, you know, his dynamic with Dorothy is kind of one of my favorites because they together, the two of them tag team a lot through our first issue. And so, yeah, he's a super fun character and just kind of seeing the way that Ruben portrays him, you know, I would have thought a lesser artist would have had a really tough time with that character because he's very complicated. His designs are, are a lot. He's tall and Ruben just is he's the real wizard of this book. I mean, he just, he, he, he lends so much emotion and acting to these characters that I'm just like, Oh yeah, dude, like this, this looks, this looks terrific. But you know, we were able to sort of either take a hard swerve with some of these characters, or like I said, take core qualities and follow them to the logical extreme. The scarecrow is another character that I think he's kind of the most complicated figure of this book. And I think readers relationship with him will change a lot over the course of our first, second, and third issues. This is the guy who wanted to be smart. And I think the problem with smart guys is they think they know all the answers and what happens when you don't. 
being smart doesn't mean you can solve every problem. Sometimes it just means you're the first person to realize just how utterly boned you are. And so what does that do to a person? You know, how does that kind of, you know, embitter them? But at the same time, you know, that's the thing with smart people is they keep trying. They keep poking at it, thinking maybe they can fix it. I think there's a there's certainly a tie. There can, there's a tie between intelligent people, especially people who think that they're really intelligent and ego. And so, you know, seeing how the scarecrow, how the war has affected the scarecrow over the years, that's going to take readers on a real roller coaster ride. Hmm. And then the lion who, you know, I, I want to give like the full like disclaimer. He does not play a huge role in this first issue. He appears more in our second and third issues, but his dynamic, you know, he, he has a lot of parallels with Dorothy, you know, his arc, a lot of it is about legacy and sort of living up to the expectations of before the war. And, you know, is that even possible to achieve now? And also this is the guy who, you know, he wanted bravery, right? He wanted courage. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a very different equation when you're just fighting for yourself. What happens when you become the king of the animal kingdom and suddenly you're not just fighting for yourself anymore? How does that calculus change? What does bravery look like then? Um, And so that's going to be some questions that the lion is really going to have to grapple with in a big way. Um, So, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, it, 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 seeing these characters, it's super fun. We, we, we do have a few other uh, uh, side characters in the mix. Um, you know, I couldn't resist putting Jack Pumpkinhead uh, in, in the book. Um, he's got a, he's got a short appearance in the first issue, but he, he, he plays a bigger role as our, as our story goes on. Um, I think our take on the wizard of Oz is one of the proudest things I've done in this book. Um, I think characters are going to fall in love with him in a big way. Um, uh, and so, uh, I can't wait for readers to see that. Um, uh, they'll, 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 they'll see the wizard in, uh, in issue one. And, um, to the point where I did not expect to have a fairly substantial role for the character. And once I started writing, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to rewrite this whole art because I can't stop. <laughs> well, see, I, he's the one that I'm going to be most fascinated to see. Because you know, he was he, he was false, you know he 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 didn't have anything really going on. He was you know, just the 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 Wizard of Oz was such a to me anyway. The way I always viewed him, he's he's the con man that you can't be mad at. Like you're just like, oh, that's him. That's the wizard. He 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 just fabricates. He just exaggerates. Like he's able to. He's got just enough charm that even when you catch him lying, you can't be like mad at him. You're just like that scamp. Um, he's, he's soft power. He's manipulation. Um, and I think the way that we've been able to approach it in the OZ, I'm really happy with it. Um, and I think that, uh, I, I, I think when readers see what we're doing, they're going to be really happy about it. Hmm. Because, you know, I could see him in this circumstance doing some of the same stuff. You know, I mean, this is a place where, you know, a, a conniver can, you know, survive longer than maybe somebody else. So I'm going to be fascinated to see how you've got that set up. Of course, I don't want that spoiler. Yeah, I want to no, read this. No, no, no spoilers other than other than you you won't see it coming. Oh, good. Okay, I like that. See, you do that, though. You have a way to, to do character growth really interesting ways and to, to move characters in, in places I don't expect them to go, like like the Spencer Unlock Volume 2. For, I always point back to that because that one just 
being a Calvin and Hobbes fan, that one floored me. I'll never forget reading it. My head spun around when I read that one. And, you know, with that, and going to the chapel was great fun, too. You take a song and you turn it into this thing that I was like, I, where did this come from? You know, kind of. And it's the same thing with the Oz. I look at it and I go, your head is a funny place. It, it's <laughs> these amazing things go on in there that I could not in a million years come up with. And yet you do these. And once I see them, I go, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> but you. I can't think of it. I don't think of it, though. <laughs> you're the, that's why you're the writer and I'm the, the reviewer. All I can tell you is uh, I'm along for the ride because this just looks so amazing. To now, see, one thing before we leave the other characters behind is yeah. – you know, we see the uh, the Tin Man, you call him the Tin Soldier. I thought that was an interesting way to refer to him. On the cover of the first issue, I'm going to be fascinated to see how Mr. Rojas interprets the other characters visually. Because you talked about the nose of the Tin Soldier. And, you know, I'm going to be interested. I mean, the wizard, what you know, the way he looks in the books and, you know, of course, we everybody's going to hearken to the movie a little bit here and there. You're going to go a very different route. I mean, he's going to look because you're going a visual route. That's going to be an important part of the character. I mean, did you guys, how important was that to you and how much, how much input did you have on that? Or did, did the artists, did they come up with a lot of that? How'd that work? Yeah. Well, so uh, Ruben and I, we talked a lot about the, the, the designs, um, I tend to, I write my scripts pretty sparsely and, um, I, uh, but I, I tend to write pretty long descript like character descriptions when we start, um, you know, just kind of like, what, is there any reference we can throw in there? Is there any, um, uh, uh, you know, are there any sort of, uh, actors that I kind of think of, you know, uh, is there, you know, hairstyles? Um, are there any influences that I want to throw in there? Um, you know, like for the tin soldier, one of the things that I talked with, with Ruben, I talked about like power armor from, um, from the fallout video games. I talked about the Raider power armor cause it's all kind of stitched together with whatever's around. But we also talked about things like, uh, you know, the, 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 the way that they painted bombs in world war two. So that's why the tin soldier's got a little bit of graffiti on his arm. Uh, cause I thought that was like a cool little twist. Um, sometimes it's throwing in bits of mythology, you know, like when I wrote my first kind of preliminary, just vomit draft of, of the character description, I said, um, uh, I, I said, you know, I'll give him a sword. And then I realized like, no, that was dumb. Like, no, no, no swords. Um, like he's the tin woodsman, give him an ax. Um, so that said, like, you know, Ruben and I, like we, 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 we talk a lot about kind of the way the character's should look and then he just runs with it the thing that i've found very interesting about ruben and i I, it it is a testament to how talented he is is that with the exception of dorothy who he did actual like real like (laughs) um design sketches for when he does characters usually he sends them to me like in the context of a page and says, what do you think about this? And because he works digitally, he's able to kind of tinker in a, in a, in a, in a way that um, working traditionally, he might not. And so, um, you know, for example, um, there's a scene with uh, Jack Pumpkinhead and the Scarecrow in, in, in the same scene. And um, he had drawn the Scarecrow wearing this kind of like long jacket. 
And I was like, I like that long jacket, but can we give it to Jack? And um, Ruben is such a gracious collaborator that he's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, no problem. Um, So, um, but at the same time, like, you know, for somebody who, and like, look, we've both come up in the review trenches, you know, you, you have made your spoilers in me at Newsarama. Um, it, it's, I think it's natural to have a lot of opinions, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, how, how, how the art should work, quote unquote. Uh, Ruben, I don't really give Ruben a lot of notes. He doesn't need them. What notes I give are usually sparing because he just like dominates, like, all the time. And I feel the same way about Whitney Kogar, our colorist. He, 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 you know, exact same way. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's nice working with a team who they are so talented at what they do that like suddenly my role as an editor is greatly diminished. And I like that. That's, I, you know, maybe that's a learning experience for me. Uh, maybe that's the way that it should be. Well, you know, as, as a writer, of course, you hand it over to the artist. You're the the you think in terms of words a lot of the time, and you probably have some visuals in mind. Yeah. But when you give it to somebody who performs and thinks visually, you know, I, I help with uh, an, an indie comic, as I always like to point out. Mm-hmm. And when I see what the artist comes up with, I'm always like. Wow, I didn't ever think that was going to be a part of it, you know. And story ideas start coming, and you know, you, you can move the characters in different ways because suddenly the art tickles something in your imagination. You go, "Oh my gosh, I could do that with the character." Sure. And yeah. So I think that's cool. Yeah, I mean, they, it's it's just working with people who, yeah, I mean, like the, these this team really knows their stuff. And I think we really kind of egg each other on to kind of bring our a game. And, you know, the way that I tend to look at this, I look at it as a critic first and foremost. I mean, the question I always ask myself, whether it's my script or with the people that I'm working with is I say, if I had been reviewing this book, not knowing anybody involved, what would I have thought? Mm-hmm. And that I think kind of, you know, it, it keeps me honest and, and it, it, I always view it, especially because I've come from this position of being an editor, both for newspapers and online and now in comics, is I'm kind of like, I would much rather it come from me than from a stranger where we mm-hmm. can't fix it. Right. And so, um, but yeah, for the OZ, it's really just been this very like deceptively easy process where it's just like coming in and, and you know, a couple tiny tweaks here and there, but mostly rubber stamp all the way. And um, I think it's just a testament to, to how talented this creative team is. And I think that's the reason why people responded so quickly uh, to this Kickstarter. Hmm. Well, we'll get to that in just a minute, but I, I wanted to t- touch on Dorothy a little bit, the, the sure. original Dorothy. Sure. How much of a role is she going to play? You know, it's, it's her, her shadow looms pretty large over Dorothy, her granddaughter and Oz in general. I mean, everybody has sort of seen her as this sainted figure. Um, And, you know, in a, in a way, you know, she kind of unintentionally set this whole country on fire. Uh, And that's kind of sad for me because, you know, she doesn't know that she's kind of gone back to Kansas and, and thinks very fondly of Oz and thinks that nothing, you know, thinks thinks of it as a great place um so you know the original dorothy um 
you know, it's not like it, it, she's she's not coming to Oz. Um, she 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 will she will stay in Kansas uh, through through the story. But um, you know, we we see her a bit in 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 issue one, as you see in our preview. And um, you know, when Dorothy does reconnect with her grandmother, um, you know, I think there 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 will be some um, some emotional moments there for sure. Well, you know, talk about emotional moments. One of the emotional moments that hit me yeah. was when the granddaughter's talking to the mother, and mother says, "Leave out some kibble out for Toto." Oh, some, yeah, some, some and I just and 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 he says, "Toto always did love his kibble," and I'm just I'm just torn up. You know, I'm just like, oh, yeah. you know, because you know she's mentally having her own yeah. control issues yeah. and stuff like that going on. And when you bring up, of course, you know, a dog guy like I am, I just, you know, I always thought he was a cute part of the whole business. And to see that, that, that was a, a very poignant, shall I say, way of touching on that story to let us yeah. know that Toto's not around anymore, obviously, but to let us know that in that way was just, you know, pulled on the heartstrings. I thought that was such yeah. a beautiful well, you know, way to I, do it. I, um, you know, this is, this is personal for me. Um, you know, I've, Toto was a Cairn Terrier. Um, so it's, it's, it's basically a cousin of a Westie. Um, and, uh, I've had Cairn Terriers my whole life. Um, and, uh, you know, for those who followed me on social media, um, my, my Karen, uh, Holly, she actually, she passed away, um, just before COVID shut everything mm. down. Mm. And, um, you know, she had cancer. We took care of her for the better part of a year. Um, and, uh, you know, that still pulls at my heartstrings six months later. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really, I felt, especially when we were putting this book together and I was writing this particular issue well before we even had uh, Holly in my apartment, but um, you know, I certainly, once she passed, I wanted to make sure like, you know, that, that we, we gave Toto his, you know, his, 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 his just reward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it felt important to me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, that, that, that moment, it hits with a new weight now for me. Um, and I think, you know, uh, I, I of course had started on a wizard of Oz story. I think actually I started on that story shortly after we got my dog from my parents. Mm. And so, you know, it coming out now, six months after her passing, it's, it's very bittersweet for me too, as well. Yeah. Now, one other thing, and then I want to get to talking about the Kickstarter. Yeah. The very last page we see on the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. that got me too. Uh, Thank you. The, the dialogue and everything. And, and because it's out there, I don't I don't feel like I'm spoiling yeah, no. it if I talk about it. But there's, let's just say that the younger Dorothy has gotten somewhere private. And she says, the, 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 the thought balloon says, I've made pe- my peace with God. And then she says out loud, time to go home. Mm-hmm. That's when, then that says, but clearly mother nature needs to have the last word. And there's a tornado coming yeah. behind. I just thought, you know, that was a, again, there's that touching thing going on. I mean, Thank you know, you. She's about to do this, and then you know, let's just say fate conspires against her yeah. to do that very thing. And then now, of course, in that frame of mind, all this stuff's going to open up in front of her. It's just going to be 
Yeah. That's going to yeah. be a very different place than where the original Dorothy was at. Absolutely. I mean, you know, reframing this through a military lens. I mean, I didn't want to just do that in a in a shallow way. I didn't want it to just be surface level. I think this exploration of trauma and 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 guilt and finding direction and morality during wartime, those those all felt specific to the genres we were playing with. I mean, you know, we were taking a military story, um, you know, mixing Iraq and Afghanistan and a little bit of Vietnam um, with this fantasy world. Uh, but we wanted to have kind of a grounded central character at the heart of it all. Um, and for me, something that I always really like about my characters, and it's something I always try to ask, is what's the self-deception here? Um, you know, it, because I think the characters that speak to me the most are the ones that they, um, they think poorly of themselves. And it's because they have just a, a very distorted self-image. Um, and having their journey be to get a little more perspective and realize that like, it's not as bad as you, it, 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 what you think is not as bad as you think. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, with, you know, Dorothy starts off in a bad place. Um, and I think that's at the same time, kind of the, the best place for her to start is a hero. Um, you know, I think the OZ in a lot of ways it's, um, you know, it dredges up a lot of the worst memories of Dorothy's life. And we'll kind of dig into that more and more as the series progresses. Mm-hmm. But um, it's also a second chance to make things right. So that's kind of, you know, the, the uh, that's really what we're going for um, with this series. And um, that's kind of the reason why, you know, I'd go for some of these darker high concepts is that I think it makes that redemptive arc pop even more. Um, you know, they always say it's darkest before the dawn. Mm-hmm. And I think that contrast really makes for characters that, that, that you really root for. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, that's the, that's the, you call it cliffhanger. <laughs> you left right there. Cause now I don't know what happens next. Cause we have an idea what's going to take place, but how it- she, she dies in the tornado. And I don't know yeah, what I'll say yeah. down for 33 pages. So you're right. uh, I, I, and then I, two uh, more issues. <laughs> yeah. And two more issues. Um, but no, what, what I can't wait for you guys to see what comes next. It's, it's, it is so fun. And so Ruben and Whitney have made it so well realized uh, that it's just, it's going to knock your socks off. Because, you know, people say, oh, we've seen this before, but I haven't seen it this way before. So for me, I'm dying to see it. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. It's going to be now. Of course, that leads to a question. When do you expect to have that first issue going out to people? Yeah. Well, so right now, I mean, our goal is to have it um, fulfilled uh, in December, Uh, you know, uh, knock on wood with everything going on with the post office. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the issue is done. So, um, you know, all 44 pages are, are complete and the covers are complete. Uh, we're having um, our production guy looking it over it now just to make sure that it's ready to send to the printer. Um, really, we're just kind of waiting at this point to just kind of get a ballpark estimate of what the final numbers are going to be um, to send to the printer. But yeah, um, our goal is to have this uh, uh, fulfilled by December. That's, that's at least what we have in the Kickstarter. Um, I, you know issues with the post office, notwithstanding, I, I don't see a problem with that. 
um, are, we're, we're working with comic impressions, uh, down in Florida. Um, you know, Florida probably being like the last state to close down if anything happens with the pandemic. Um, so, you know, they're considered an essential business and, um, yeah. And then, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're figuring out exactly what we're going to do for the fulfillment. Uh, right now the plan is just to do it in my apartment, but then again, we have 571 backers and counting, which is much higher than I thought. So we'll see how that, that's that, 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 that'll be a work in progress over the next 28 days. Now, um, see, that's a, that's a perfect segue into talking about the Kickstarter campaign yeah. because not, no, you this is your first Kickstarter. Yeah. First ever Kickstarter. I, I, I always, I, I think of there, I don't know if you've ever seen, there was a justice league unlimited episode in which it's called three little, uh, the, the little pig or something. One little, it was about wonder Woman gets turned to a pig. Mm-hmm. And in order to save her, Batman has to sing. And he gets up and he sings this. Am I blue? Just a beautiful rendition of it. And mm-hmm. when he, Quacks down there. There comes uh, Zatanna comes up to him and says, "Is there anything you can't do?" <laughs> and I'm kind of with this Kickstarter. I'm going like, you know, for somebody who's a novice. I mean, Thank wow. You. I mean, let's let's be real here. I mean, you know, we're doing this a little early. This is going to post on a Sunday morning. Yeah. By the time this comes out, you could be, <laughs> five, yeah, you know, five hundred times where you know what you've asked for. Yeah, I mean, we are uh, we're currently, as we're speaking right now, we're at three hundred and sixty three percent funding. It 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 blows my mind. I think because um, you know, and, and I'm sure I, I'm sure you felt this way as well. But I've always felt this way coming from the comics journalism scene, and then coming from the indie comics scene. There's always this question of like, is this, is this thing on? Is anybody <laughs> listening? You know, uh, am I am I just speaking into the void? And uh, I can tell you, the night before the Kickstarter launched, I was I was so nervous, I was so tense, um, you know, that I uh, <laughs> that I, I, I to the point where I, I the night before I had psyched myself up. I mean, for those of you who haven't run a Kickstarter, there's um, a little button uh, that says "Prepare to Launch," and I got all in my head about that being like, well, does that, if I click that, does that mean I've actually launched? Like, I don't want to test it. What does that mean? Oh man. Like I'm going to, I've already, Kickstarter has already approved the project once, but if I click prepare to launch, are they going to have to pr- prove it again? Am I going to screw up my launch time? And, uh, my very, very patient girlfriend, um, was like, just looked it up on the phone and she's like, no, it's just a, you click prepare to launch. You click a thing, a checkbox saying like, you sure you know what you're doing? And, you know, you're sure you're cool with this. And, uh, and then you click launch. And then I was like gr- grumbling, well, why do I have to do this checkbox? It's just, you know, um, but uh, I was super nervous. You know, you, 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 you're stepping into the unknown and you have no idea how it's going to turn out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's always been that level of belief. I've believed in this book for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've believed in it first because I liked the story, but then I kept at it because I believed in the team that I was working with. Um, and I feel like, you know, seeing the way that readers responded, it was just like a leap of faith rewarded. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you were asking for a goal of $6,000. Yes. How many hours did it take for you to meet that? Two. Two hours. <laughs> See, I'm very proud of myself. I was within those first two hours. Thank you. To I, pledge. So I, even before all this, the earthquake hit, I was in there 
supporting because then you had, and I think by the time this post, this, this level will be gone, but there's a, what's called a digital stockpile. Yeah. And like digital files of almost everything you've ever done yeah. and stuff like that. And I said, gosh, I've got to have that because I, I'm less paper these days sure. and more trying to keep that. it on my computer. Cause you know, I've got stacks and stacks of stuff. This is, this is probably my guilty secret that I shouldn't say on a podcast, but I'm going to say it because we're, we're buddies and we're honest with each other. I I'm the same way. I, 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 I love backing Kickstarter projects, but I love backing them digitally because I live in a two bedroom apartment in New York or in, in LA, sorry, flashback to five years ago when I did live in New York. Um, and, you know, I, I have a tiny little mailbox and I, you know, my girlfriend is already very patient with me that all of my Kickstarter materials are creeping all over our apartment and um, I'm running out of bookshelf space. So like, I, you know, but I want to support, I've, I've supported um, uh, over 200 Kickstarter projects uh, wow. because like I want to give to the community. And, and this was long before I decided I wanted to do my own Kickstarter, but it was just, you know, there's so Kickstarter, the thing I like about it and the thing that I hope that we don't lose as more and more people migrate from the direct market is I think it's a very, it's a vibrant place for indie creators who wouldn't necessarily be able to get a toehold in traditional publishing. Um, but through the generosity of, of backers who believe in the project and are willing to wait long enough to get it, um, that this really incredible, vibrant, important type of work is coming out. And, um, you know, I, I consider myself really fortunate to be joining their ranks um, as somebody who has kind of come up in the indie scene. Um, this feels right to me. And I feel, it feels very empowering as well as a creator. Which is just, you know, this is what I, I always say on this podcast, podcast, podcast that kickstarter is how books come to be that we might not have ever seen Absolutely. if it hadn't been for it and so for me i, I love to support kickstarters and yeah. stuff like that because i want to there are stories out there i think that if kickstarter had been around longer we would have gotten to see mm -hmm. and i think there's all these wonderful tales out there that we missed because the kickstarter wasn't there and for you and this being your first one, I'm so glad it's hitting the ground running. I mean, within 24 hours, you were what, 200%? Uh, we, we had crossed, we had crossed, no, we, we hit 300% in the first 24 hours. Wow. See that, that's, that's when you're, you have a good start. Now, <laughs> part of that I have to talk with you about is just something that as, as a podcaster, Ooh. I was looking through your Facebook and I started to notice, man, you were interviewed on sci-fi.com mm -hmm. yep. RGN. Yeah. I mean, you've been on a whole bunch of other, I mean, by the time this post, you're probably going to be on like 50, I have, 60. I, I, I have, I think 14 podcasts scheduled in the next week. That's besides the one you've already done, right? Yeah. This is my, <laughs> you're the third person I've chatted with today. <laughs> I saved the I, best for last. I saved the best for oh, last. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> but I have to tell you that that I think social media is a great way to support a Kickstarter. And I think yeah. you're a wonderful proof of that. Granted, you know, you've got these wonderful books that have caught on Spencer Unlock and going to the chapel and other things going on. 
all this stuff really takes off because these this is a confluence of all these great things happening. And I I just I, I am so happy to see you take on Kickstarter and do it so well. I, I'm just thrilled with it because it's such a great accomplishment. You know, first time out. Yeah. Great. It's it's you know, I consider it I mean a, a, a real honor. Um, that people have responded in the way that they have. I think, you know, I've always said that I think I have, I've enjoyed some of the best, most passionate readers um, with Spencer and Locke and going to the chapel. They've always been the little indie books that could. I think they all showed up in a big way uh, for, for the OZ. And the thing that really, that got me during this campaign, mm-hmm. you know, so for those who, who haven't followed me on social media, you know, I, I, I wrote at Newsarama for a very long time. I was there for 12 years. I started uh, six months after graduating college, um, you know, and it was the longest relationship I've ever had. And I had been, I, I was going to be leaving soon based on, uh, you know, more projects that I had coming up um, through the direct market that it would have been difficult for me to wear both hats comfortably for much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as I talked with senior editor, Mike Duran, an opportunity came up to, uh, to provide more resources to the review team, which was something that I had always wanted from the jump. And this felt like the best way to make my exit mm-hmm. was to sort of be able to do that in a way that would keep anything that I was getting and just, keep adding to a pile that was being added to. And um, it was really bittersweet, you know, at at the time. But the thing that I think really hit me that I think, you know, kind of, it felt like an epiphany uh, over this, this week was I didn't realize what kind of distance that I had been cultivating um, just subconsciously. Cause I always wanted to avoid a conflict of interest. I always wanted to avoid this, any expectation that I was going to review something in any way other than I thought was honest mm-hmm. uh, and not feel, you know, it's one thing to be friendly with, with a, with a creator, but it's another to feel like, you know, you don't want them to think that you're in their pocket um, and you don't want your readers to feel that way either. Mm-hmm. So I think I had maintained certainly a level of distance. I felt like I tried to do my job fairly and, you know, try not to punch down and try not to do any personal attacks, even if I had to critique. Mm-hmm. And, um, but now that that was gone, I suddenly would, I felt comfortable as a creator to ask other creators, hey, would you mind uh, sharing our work? Mm-hmm. And so having people like Scott Snyder and Gail Simone and Mark Russell um, it felt like a 10 year or 12 year career that suddenly has kind of metamorphosized and turned it into, to, to, to a totally different animal. Um, you know, I, a lot of people ask like, Oh, how did you do X, Y, and Z? And I always feel bad because the first answer is, do you have 10 years to spend in comics journalism? <laughs> um, but I do feel like my time at Newsarama, it really, it not only helped hone my voice as a storyteller, but it helped me learn how to navigate, how to promote my work 
mm-hmm. and um, and how to sort of bridge that gap between being a, a journalist and a critic to becoming a creator in my own right. It was sort of the best grad school I could have ever had. And it kind of empowered me with, uh, with a lot of knowledge that I've been able to put increasingly into practice. Mm-hmm. It's funny because some people have gotten on me because I'm too positive. <laughs> you know, I tend to, I, 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 I don't like to review or, or talk with creators unless I like their work. Uh, there's a couple of exceptions that I can notably point out. Tom Taylor, who I really enjoy yeah. as, a, as a writer, he did an, an Immortal Hulk annual that I just despised. And I wrote mm-hmm. a really negative review of it. And I, <laughs> I haven't talked to him since I did that. But I, I, <laughs> yeah. I just – there was also a long time ago, there was a Batman Goes to Wonderland book. Interesting. And it was awful. I mean, it was oh, a really? $25 book back when $25 was a lot for a book. It was a hardcover. Sure. I bought it and I just savaged it because I said, if you took your $25, you could buy three, four Batman titles and they'd all be better than, than this thing was because they had an artist that drew his Batman's thing on his chest, looked like four pimples in a row. Oh, and I just, I said, this is just Batman does not belong in Wonderland. Sure. You know, he should have gone somewhere else. I mean, there he is drinking tea and I'm going, <laughs> No, no, this isn't Batman. No. And so I, I do tend to be positive. People really love it when I, I go negative on people because I really get savage. I, yeah, I, I busted their chops. There's, I've always, you know, talking about moral calculus in, in this story, mm-hmm. that was always something that I had to struggle with with every single review because, you know, I got my start as a DC Comics intern. So like I that was something that really was instru- like instructive to me mm-hmm. putting faces to all the different people that put a comic together and realizing how many different parts are are are, are of this machine mm-hmm. and then writing reviews it's sort of you know there are books that just will set your teeth on edge and you know and and sometimes look I I'm not I'm certainly not immune to it I mean there are certainly a, a small handful of books that I, in retrospect, regret having gone to town on because like, just sometimes, you, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, everybody, everybody gets mad sometimes. And sometimes you, 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 you get a little more heated than you'd like. But for me, and this was the thing that I always tried to impress upon the reviewers that I worked with is, you know, it's always about the work. You don't make it about the professional. Um, you or you don't make it about the creator. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't engage in personal attacks, mm-hmm. and you know, and and a good rule of thumb is: would if you said this to them and to their face at a con, would they leap over the table and attack you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've always tried to kind of write my reviews with that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's 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 a troubling trend that I see in the comics blogosphere. And I feel like we saw it fairly recently uh, mm-hmm. with, with a few names that I'm not going to mm-hmm. name here, mm-hmm. but you know, it's easy to confuse snark with substance mm-hmm. with insight, with insight. And, you know, I just don't understand that. Like it's one thing to engage with the work in a critical fashion mm-hmm. and to examine it and say what works, what doesn't. And sometimes everything works and sometimes nothing works. That's how statistics work. Mm-hmm. Um, but to just be kind of, so 
relentlessly 24 seven cynical to just be like thinking that this is like your insult comedy stand-up act mm-hmm. this long-winded just totally misplaced and misdirected i don't get it it it, it strikes me as um not only does it it, it feels juvenile and it, it just feels a it, it's very easy to go and swerve into the realm of abuse mm-hmm. um you know we without naming any, any anybody's names we 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 didn't have many negative reviews for Spencer and Locke, which I consider a huge win. But of course, you know, it's the, it's, that's the high concept that is going to polarize. And there are going to be some people who just by virtue of it existing Mm -hmm. are not going to be happy with it. I get it. That is totally their prerogative. And, you know, as a critic, I've had books that, yeah, they, I'm just like, this is wrongheaded and, you know, I get it. So like, I don't blame anybody's barometer. What I do take fault with however was they wrote a really nasty review and then tagged me and my whole team in it and like that's where like i think they're and granted everybody's ethical code is different everybody's moral calculus is different but it's something that i've always tried to be cognizant of in my work both as a critic and now as a creator is you know are we punching down are we swerving into the realm of abuse? Are we forgetting that there are human beings on the other side of this? Right. Nobody intends to write a bad book. No, and to be honest, it, you know, I don't think I don't think that there are people that phone stuff in. But even if there was, uh, you know, a, a big name writer who phoned it in, mm-hmm. his team didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, his art team certainly didn't. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I think as I've I've become a creator, especially it's, it's made me even more empathetic to that. Um, is, is that it's not to say that people are immune from coming out with bad work or work that doesn't, doesn't connect or doesn't have the intended effect, but there's a way to engage that in a way that's still fair. See, I, I like to ask questions. What did you intend when you did this and that and the other? Why, why did you go that route? Well, and that, that I think speaks to your, to your editorial role. Um, you know, the thing is, is when you're, I do believe strongly in death of the author, you know, once the book's in somebody's hands, like my opinion doesn't matter, but that is also the reason why I do the levels of publicity that I do is because that's sort of my last, bit of spin on the book i've 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 packed this book together in a nice neat little ball and this is my pitch and i get to put whatever spin i want to on it um and i think that helps prime our readership to kind of know what to expect and to get a little bit of that authorial intent um before they dig in and um that's why i'm always very confused when there are creators who just don't want to talk about their work because i'm just like you know maybe you're super confident in, in yourself and your, in your name and your, and your following that you don't need to promote your own work. But, you know, I feel like I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for my teams. Um, I've never worked with an artist who's an extrovert. Um, and so, you know, people like Jorge Santiago Jr. Or, you know, or Ruben Rojas, you know, these are fairly soft-spoken individuals. And I feel, I, 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 I feel I, they they feel like family to me and I feel like I am, it's my obligation as family to promote them 
and to push them up and to make sure that they're the household names that they so justly deserve. Well, it's cool. I mean, you have never put a bad book out in my mind, and that concludes your art teams and stuff. They've all sparkled. Top shelf. In my, yeah, I just think they're just fantastic stuff. I mean, like I said, Spencer Unlocks, particularly that second volume when you floored me there, that was just amazing stuff. Going to the chapel was great fun, too, I have to say. Thank you. Very different from Spencer Unlocks and still very good. You know, it's, I like that you can do different kinds of things and do them well. That's the That's, great thing uh, about comics is that you're never, you know, there's no obligation for you to, to, to do just one thing. So that's great. I really, I really like that. Now I've got two more questions and I'll let you go. Uh, number one, I, I, I'm kind of interested to you know you, you pulled a blue harvest mm-hmm. on us fans. You, you were calling it, I think it was project Project's saffron. Yeah. yeah. And I was going like, what is that? And then out comes the OZ and I'm going like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. that's supposed to be project saffron. And so I got a huge kick. I talk about, what was going on yeah. behind that? Well, you know, so again, coming from a journalism scene, I, 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 I understand the value of a good announcement. Um, you know, for example, you know, uh, we had like a nice one, two, three punch between uh, IGN sci-fi and comic book resources who really kind of rolled out the OZ with um, our three variant covers. They had, they each had an exclusive cover to run and um, that really helped the ball get rolling in a big way for us. And um, so I always believe in, you know, in, 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 in holding the cards fairly close to, to, to the vest. However, you know, I, I write a, a newsletter. It's called pep talks. Um, you can subscribe to it at bit.ly slash pep news, plug any plug. Um, you know, I, I would not have material to write if I didn't talk about the stuff I'm working on. And I like the newsletter because it keeps me accountable. It makes sure that I do write. You know, but I am writing it, uh, you know, all the time. And so um, the way that I could have my cake and eat it too was with these project names. And so I'm able to tease artwork uh, with, without a ton of context. I'm able to talk a little bit about the process of what I'm working on and, and the, 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 the challenges and the things that are fun about it for me. Um, and uh, so, yeah, some of these are like inside jokes, um, you know, Project Saffron for Saffron Yellow, the Yellow Brick Road. Um, going to the chapel was referred to as Project Cake. Mm-hmm. Um, for the wedding cake, uh, Spencer and Lock Three was uh, Project Cerulean, um, and uh, but that said, you know some of these are a little bit more esoteric. Um, you know, I, I, I'm working on a superhero one shot right now with uh, my Spencer and Lock brother in arms, Jorge Santiago Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, while he's waiting for me to finish Spencer and Lock Three, and um, you know it's it's called Project Juniper. Don't try reading too deeply into it. That's just one of the characters' names. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, you know, we've got a lot of, I got a lot of projects in the works, um, that I will keep teasing this way. Uh, cause now I'm hoping that readers might try to, you know, hit that with the, with the magnifying glass. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there will be answers, but there might be, you know, you just have to read the newsletter to find out. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, before I get to my last question, I got to always say, if you, if people want to follow you and keep up with your, yeah. your good things, sure. why don't you talk about social media, how people yeah. do that? Well, first off, uh, for the OZ, we're still running on Kickstarter. We're going to be there through uh, the morning of September 16th. So you've got plenty of time to back, but keep backing, please. It helps us out a ton. Uh, you can go to bit.ly slash the OZ comic. It's just one word all spelled out. Uh, you can also follow the book on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the OZ comic. Uh, 
Meanwhile, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at PeposD. It's my last name and first initial. You can also follow David Pepos Comics on Facebook. And uh, last but not least, you can um, subscribe to the newsletter, uh, Pep Talks at bit.ly slash pep news. Mm-hmm. Very good. Now, last question. I was When I saw all these interviews that you had done, and I thought, what can I possibly ask you that all these other people haven't done? And I thought, well, hey, maybe that's the thing to ask you. What have you not been asked in the course of all these interviews that you would like to have been asked mm. as far as that? And what would you like to say about that you know, as a response to that? Boy, um, that's a good one. <laughs> it's a good question because, you know, I, I love talking about the characters and I think we've done a, a pretty decent job at that. Um, <laughs> you know, and and I, I feel like the, the answer that I have whenever whenever people ask, what's the next thing you want to do? Like, it's, it's so anticlimactic. The, the thing I want to do next, it's not a parody or a pastiche. Like, I really want to do a Captain Planet comic so badly. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Anybody who follows me on social media will probably see me talk about Captain Planet at least every couple of weeks. Because it's mm-hmm. just like my white whale. I've got a pitch that'll make your heart sing and your toes curl. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, the thing is, is that Captain Planet, for those who haven't watched it, you know, it's, it's, uh, Ted Turner personally spearheaded that project. So it's very important in the general Warner brothers sphere from what I've been told, it has its own office and they've been very hesitant to do any work on it because um, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, production company, I believe had optioned it for, Mm. for a film. I, Mm. from what I understand, it did not sound very good. I'm glad that it hasn't made any progress, but um yeah, I I don't know if they're going to license if they're ever will ever license that out. I don't know if they would. Um, I don't know if DC would have control over that as a Warner Brothers mm-hmm. entity. I don't think DC is going to be doing a whole lot of licensed stuff anytime soon outside mm-hmm. of their core superhero line. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Captain Planet's my white whale. <laughs> I okay. know it's a weird thing to hear at the end of a Wizard of Oz uh, uh, interview. No. But, but um, that ties right into it. I was going, you know, the things asking, what are you working on in the future? Yeah. That's what you'd like to work on. Yeah, that's that is that's really the white whale. Um, I do have a Jetsons idea that would. Kill. Oh, really? Um, uh, saving that in the back pocket. Um, maybe I'll have to file it off, file the serial numbers off. It's one of those ideas that. I don't know. I got to think about it. It's, 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 um, it's, it's a little quieter than what I'm used to writing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know it, 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 it may have to be a one shot or an anthology story rather than something full length. I don't know. Or maybe it's something I, 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 I release myself. I couldn't tell you. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting. Um, you know, I, I mean, the stuff that I'm working on right now, I'm really pleased with, I'm really excited by, and, um, and honestly getting the OZ across the finish line is kind of one of my top priorities because I'm so excited with how we've written it. And I'm so excited with Ruben and Whitney's work that, you know, our first issue is going to blow you away. And I can't wait to see when we finish our second and third issues. Mm. Well, it's called The OZ, number one, a fantasy classic reimagined for comics. And jump on board because uh, we've got a ways to go. And there's all going to be some wonderful uh, stretch goals, I'm sure, are coming. Yes. Uh, stay, fact- stay tuned. We're actually, we're just figuring it out uh, right now. We're kind of figuring out what's the, 
you know, how the, the campaign continues to grow. Uh, I have very little doubt we're going to cross 22,000 tonight. And so, uh, you know, we're just figuring out the right metric, but we've got some really cool stretch ideas uh, in store. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited for our, our, our passionate readership to match it because, yeah, we're pulling out all the stops for this book. Well, just in the last couple of minutes, I refreshed it and it already went up a little bit more. So you were right. That 22,000 mark is coming. By the time this post is probably going to be way past that. That's where we are. Knock on wood. (laughs) I'm hoping. I'd like to see it. Gosh, we're over 570 backers and 28 days to go. And when we're doing this, and of course, it's going to be very different when this posts on Sunday morning. But let me tell you, uh, 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 sky's the limit. I'm afraid to even give a number for fear it'll be, oh, (laughs) that uh, we passed that days ago kind of stuff. Beyond my wildest dreams. And I I have our, our amazing and passionate readership to thank for it. If you're listening please, you know, feel free to back us. We've got tiers at every level of your budget because uh, I want to make sure that this book is accessible to everyone. And, um, you know, the thing that really helps us is back our work and tell your friends. Um, this is a community project. That's what crowdfunding is about. We need that crowd to succeed. And um, I, I want the OZ army to be strong. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, want, I want as many Yellow Brick Road warriors as we can get. And so um, spread the word. Uh, join us in the trenches here for the OZ. Well, it couldn't happen to a better creator. I think you, 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 you are, your name is one people should take note of because I think there's great things coming well, from it you. Means, in the it future. means the world. I, 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 I can't thank you enough for your support because, you know, it takes a village. Um, and it takes, it takes people from every level of the comics community to make a creator succeed. And I've been so fortunate You've been in my corner since the jump, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it, 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 it means the world. I, I remember where I come from, and um, so, so thank you, Wayne, for, for, for being there from the beginning. I remember when I first encountered you was at Megacon. Mm-hmm. You were in the same aisle where we were. I was with uh, Richard Rivera up the aisle, and I came to your stuff, and I'd heard about it, but I hadn't bought it, so I bought the books from you. And I remember taking them home going, oh, my gosh, I've got to talk to this guy. <laughs> This is great stuff. So, you know, I just think that uh, you're only getting started. I think there's lots more wonderful things coming from you. So I think that people should follow you and they should uh, buy your stuff. Thank you so and much. If you haven't been reading it before, jump in now because this is going to be good stuff. You can say, I was his fan when. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We've, we've got tiers that'll, that'll let you catch up on all of my work. So feel free to, to jump in and, 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 and pledge as, as, as hard as you'd like. Well, as I always like to say, keep it up. <laughs> you're just getting going. So you're doing great stuff, David. And I can't wait to talk with you next time. I think Absolutely. it won't be too long. We'll do this again. Very soon. Sooner rather than later. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. And I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed. But as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. And 
that's it for this episode. Be back next time. I'll have another great interview with an excellent comics creator. Something I'm sure you won't want to miss. But until then, keep reading your comics. Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.